We're not going to be doing uh, Philippians today. We're going to be doing a two-week series leading up to resurrection, one-week series leading to resurrection. But uh, this is one of the rare times that I've titled a message before I even preach it, and this is, Why Did Jesus Come to This World? And we're going to be going all over the place as we start looking at this one. And uh, because I've got many verses that I want to go to, and I put them on PowerPoint so I would stay on focus. And that you all don't have to go racing through your Bible to get, keep up with me, and I've got them marked in my Bible. So we're going to start in 1 Timothy, if I can get this thing working over there. And we're not going to cooperate, are we? Doesn't show. Okay, forget that. <laughs> hey, I can do it that way. All right. Very good. We got it working. <laughs> First Timothy 1.15 is where we're going to start. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to just be together and to worship you. It's a corporate body. We ask you to just bless this time as we open your word and to look at the reason that you came to this earth in the first place. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. So here we're told he came to save sinners. And uh, how would you like to be knowing your destination from the moment you were born was, your, was to save sinners? And how was he going to save the sinners is, is what we're going to look at. In 1 John, I should have turned there first. <laughs> Verse John 3, verse 5. I need, a, I need a screen back there in the back of the church so I could just read it with you guys. <laughs> and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him was no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sins not. Whosoever hath not seen him, neither has known him. He came to take away sins. Now our memory verses we've been working on were all sinners. Okay. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We went into Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Okay? It's a gift. You know, I've listened to people witness at times, and they, they like to tell people that the wages of sin is death, and they kind of forget the good part of that verse. <laughs> Never forget the good part of that verse. The gift. The gift that he brought us. And he knew that that was what he was coming with. He takes away sin from us. He takes away the punishment of that sin. He died on the cross to bear our sins. He became sin on the cross. You know, we've talked about this at various times. Jesus became sin on the cross. Up until that time, he had always been in fellowship with God, the Father and the Holy Spirit. When he became sin, he took on the sins of the world, the Father turned his back on him, and that is when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine the pain that that was? I mean, he'd gone through a lot of pain up to this point. Okay, He'd been beaten. They'd put a bag over his head and were smacking him and say, Prophesy and tell us who hit you. They had scourged him. And the scourging was not a very 
good thing if you want to think about this. They took a flagellum with nine strands of leather with, that would be weighted and gave him stripes. And these Roman soldiers had fun doing this. Where history tells us that they would take bets with each other on who could remove the largest chunk of, of flesh and skin from the person they were beating. Okay, they enjoyed their beatings that they gave. He took that for us. He carried the cross and was nailed on the cross. But you know, for all the physical pain that he went through, and it was severe, don't get me wrong, it was severe pain. The pain that hurt him the most was becoming sin and the father turning his back on him. They had never been out of fellowship for all of eternity until he became sin. We always think about Jesus paying the price for our sins, but think about the price the Father and the Holy Spirit paid to pay for our sins. They had to reject Jesus. If only for a small period of time, they had to reject Jesus. The Father paid a price for our salvation. And it's an amazing, amazing thing that he even would pay that price. I, I just... It, makes me amazed that he would do that. And knowing that it was going to be the case and still, he did it. Very hard to imagine. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even so the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. How many did he give his life a ransom for? Everybody who has ever lived on this planet or will live. That does not mean that everybody accepts his gift. The verse we're working on this month, Romans uh, 10. If you shall confess with your mouth. It takes our action to confess. And what is confession? Confession is to say the same thing as God says. I love that because in, in Greek it's homologeo, same speak, same word. We say the same thing. We say the same thing about our sin. How many times have you talked to somebody and they say, well, I make mistakes. Well, I'm glad to know you don't make mistakes. I, I make lots of mistakes. I call them sins. Sin is a little different word than just saying I made mistakes. Sin is that I have actively made choices to do wrong. We all have sinned. We all make those sins, and we need to confess our sins and turn away from them. Repent. Confess and repent. They go hand in hand. God, I am a sinner. This is the sin that I've committed, God. I am turning away from that sin and turning to you. Very important aspect that we give. Too many times I hear people go, well, you know, Jesus is, I, I said a prayer and asked Jesus into my heart, well, what did it mean? Well, nothing, I just said some words. You know, I have met many people who have said the sinner's prayer, Lord, I am a sinner, I deserve punishment, come into my heart and forgive me and be with me. You can say that prayer all day long, it's not abracadabra, you're a Christian. If you don't mean those words, they're worthless. You're wasting your time saying them. They're the right words. God, I am a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. God, I deserve punishment. And I know that I deserve punishment and I couldn't do it without you. Come into my life and change me. When you mean those words, it's everything. 
If you're just saying, I'm abracadabra, I'm magically changed, it didn't mean anything. And this is one of the things that when you deal with, especially with children, and you're trying to evangelize children, you can only, you give them the gospel, you give them the truth, and you give them the opportunity to pray. But if you start pressing them, they'll pray for you. You're the adult. They'll pray with you. And they'll think they're a Christian the rest of their life because all they did was pray because the adult asked them to pray. I've seen it happen in churches at times, too, <laughs> with adults. You know, the pastor asked us all to pray. I've even seen pastors who will say, I want everybody to say this prayer with me just in case you're not saved. And I get 100% participation. I doubt that they get 100%. But even if they did, some people in that, saying that prayer aren't saved. Because you've got to mean these words. You've got to put your trust in, these, in, the, in what, it stand, what those words stand for. Not just saying the words. And not just believing that Jesus existed, died, and rose again. Because James says this, the, you believe that Jesus was the Son of God and rose from the dead. You do well. The demons believe. Guarantee you, none of the demons are going to heaven. They believe, but they don't put their trust in God. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to give his life and to give to, to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So pretty much the same verse there. And this next one, we're going to read a good chunk of the, of, of the section. Did I go too far? Twenty-eight. Going the wrong way. There we go. John twelve twenty-three. Through 32. It got the right one up. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it shall abide alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where, and where I am, there, he also, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will I, my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause I came into this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then came a voice from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Got it right. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said it, that it thundered. Others said, an angel spoke. And Jesus answered and said, the voice came not because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall be the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Jesus told them he was going to die. He's praying, God, is there any other way? You know, I came. He's letting people know why he came. We always got to keep this in remembrance. In Christmas time, we love to sing about the baby born. You know, and I like Christmas. I like the fact that Jesus came. But I'm going to tell you, I like this time of the year the best. 
because it celebrates the whole reason that he came. He came to die for our sins, to take away our sins, to give us a way to come to the Father, because without Jesus' death, we would have had no way to come to the, come to the Father. No way to come to the Father without his sacrifice. Because no matter how much good I do, the wages of sin, singular, is death. All I need is one sin, and I deserve death. And, I've, and we've talked about this. You could be the most perfect person in the world. You could have everything perfect and have committed one sin. And everybody say, well, that person's really good. They deserve heaven. No, God says they deserve the punishment for the one sin they did. Now, nobody's ever just done one sin. Nobody's ever going to be able to stand before God and go, well, God, it's unfair that I only made one mistake or a dozen mistakes, and you're sending me to hell. Most of us have made mistakes and sins multiple times every day. If we could say we've only made one sin in a day, we would be very fortunate. Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. He was a Pharisee. He was as pure as could be as far as people were concerned. And he says, it's dung, it's worthless, I'm a, I'm a great sinner. Jesus came to die. He came to die. That was his purpose for coming to this world, was to die. To die for our sins. We need to keep this in remembrance. When we think about Jesus, oh, sometimes we just think about, oh, it's so wonderful he was resurrected, and I get to spend eternity with him, and that's great. But the cost of that salvation should always be remembered. It cost him everything. It cost him his life. It cost him the relationship with his father for a period of time. It cost the father and the Holy Spirit a separation from somebody that they'd been with for all eternity. The great high cost of our salvation is not cheap. And when people want to say, well, I could just do, do good and please God, they're stomping on the blood of Jesus when they do that. God, your, your, sin, your, your sacrifice just wasn't enough. And unfortunately, I know that there are churches out there that teach basically just that. You get saved by Jesus, but then you've got to do all these good works. Because somehow his blood wasn't enough. Now, I've always taught, and you know, the, sac the good works are not necessarily bad. They're just not going to get you into heaven. There's great good in doing the right things. There's good consequences for doing the right things. There's blessings for doing good. But one of those blessings is not heaven. Heaven came strictly from the blood of Jesus Christ. And we need to keep that in mind that it is a great cost that he paid for our salvation. And then the only other thing I want to bring out today is a, is a section as well that it was not something that was a surprise to God that he was going to have to do this. Acts 2, verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. You. Oh, I also put an extra verse in there, didn't I? Let me, let me read that other verse. I put it in there for context. The one before it, 
22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourself also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Determinate and predetermined counsel. Now, most people don't like the idea that God fordains things to happen. Jesus had a foreordained plan. He came to this world to die. Foreordained, a deliberate counsel before the creation of this world. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit got together, said, we're going to create man, they're going to sin, and Jesus, I'd like you to die for them. And Jesus said yes. This is just something that I've always told you. This was mind-boggling to me that they would do this. Mind-boggling. To create man knowing that man was going to sin. And know the cost that it was going to cost to redeem man. And yet he did it. I've never been able to understand. I never will understand it. <laughs> I don't think we will understand it even into eternity. The high cost of our salvation and the price that Jesus paid predetermined. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. We speak, of the, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Ordained before the foundation of the world. Titus 1, 2 and 3. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from our forefathers with pure conscience without ceasing. I might be in the, might want to be in the right book. <laughs> I'm in Timothy reading this and saying this has nothing to do with what, <laughs> what I'm trying to read. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifest his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of our God and Savior. Then we're going to go to Revelation. And make this go the right way. Revelation 13, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And then Revelation 5, 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full, which are the saints of the prayers of the saints, except that I'm supposed to be reading six. <laughs> and behold, lo, there was in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb 
as had been slain, even with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth unto the world. Jesus slain. The plan before the foundation of the earth. Oh, the glory of what it did. When man, Adam and Eve sinned, it was not a surprise to the Father. He already knew that it was going to happen. The moment Jesus said to the Father, yes, when we create man and they fall, I will be the sacrifice, the Father considered it done. Okay. We, have hard, we have a hard time with that idea. I mean, it didn't happen for, for another 4,000 years. <laughs> at least, we don't know how much before the foundation, but at least time as we count it, at least 4,000 years before this ever happened, and, Jesus, and God the Father says, he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is slain. He knew that the son would accomplish what he, had, what he said he would do. And he says, he is slain. Always keep in mind, God has a plan. He knows what's going on. How many times in our life do we go along thinking, oh, God's lost all control. There's no way he could have allowed all this stuff to happen in my life. We probably wouldn't say it. Because we're too spiritual to say something like that. We wouldn't want anybody to think that we didn't trust God. But I would almost guarantee that every one of us has thought this in our life. There's so much going on in my life. There's just no way God could be in control at this moment. There's just no way he would have allowed this to happen in my life. We've all been there. We've all done that. And we always have to come back to the fact there's nothing that God didn't know. There's nothing that he didn't allow. There's nothing that he can't get us through if we lean on him. Or even better, hide in him. If you're hidden in him and you know that he's in control and that he's in charge, then you get out to the other side and say, God, you're going to give me victory. What can separate me from the love of God? Paul goes, depth, height, width, length, nothing. Life, death, nothing can separate us from God. The more we believe that, the better off we're going to be as we go through life. Because the greatest thing I can tell you, and I practice this as much as possible, when everything seems to be going completely out of control, I will tell God, God, I don't understand what's going on, but you're in control and you've promised it's for good. Romans 8.28, for all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. And again, we've brought this out. doesn't say that it's for my good. There's A lot of people want my in there. You know, they want the verse to say all things work together for my good. And that's not what the verse says. It says all things work together for good. And we want to keep that in mind. Most of the time we get into trouble as human beings is because we want to understand why. God, just tell me why this is going on. God, just tell me why this person acted this way and, and I'm being affected. God, just tell me why everything in my possession is breaking down. <laughs> Probably because you didn't take care of it, but anyway. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. We get in trouble when we tell God we want to know why. Now, God is a pretty good leader. And he does not always tell us why. Many times he just gives us a small part of the picture and says, I want you to walk in that part. When you get to the next step, I'll tell you what the next step is. Listen to a pastor talking today about uh, Samuel being sent out to anoint David. 
And he wasn't told exactly who he was going to anoint. He says, you're going to go anoint the new king. Go to Jesse's house in, in Bethlehem. Now, do you think God didn't know who Samuel was going to anoint that day? No, he knew exactly who he was going to anoint. He just didn't tell Samuel. Because if he would have told Samuel, Samuel might have avoided Bethlehem altogether and gone up into the hills and just anointed David. Because that's where David was. He was watching, watching the sheep. Jesse had all of his sons passing before, the, before Samuel. And Samuel goes, none of these are there. Do you have any other sons? And it's kind of funny when you read it and Jesse's going, oh yeah, there's, uh, there's my youngest son. He's up in the mountains watching the sheep. His instructions had been to bring all of his sons. And how insignificant did he think of David, his littlest, youngest son? You know, oh yeah, he's up in the mountain. He's up there taking care of my sheep. Well, get him down here. God does this always with us. He's done it all my life. He gives me just enough to step forward. We as humans like to go, okay, God, I want the rest of the plan before I'm going to move. God doesn't do that. He's not going to let us walk by sight. He says, the just shall live by faith. Many times we're going to be called to do things that make no sense. And you know the amazing thing is once you grow, grow with God and you start doing things for him, you look back and, at what you're doing, you're going, wow, I never would have done this five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And here I am doing great things. Wouldn't even have dreamed of doing the things you're doing. And God moves you and grows you in a place where you can all of a sudden say, I'm here. God, look what you've brought me into. Look where you have brought me. Look at the things I'm accomplishing with my family as I share the gospel. Look at the things I'm accomplishing as I share it with other people. We grow, and God allows it. And it was his plan from the foundation of the earth. He has a plan. Never forget he has a plan. When everything seems to be going wrong, God has a plan. Even if I have totally messed it up, God knew that I would mess it up, and he still has a plan to handle what I messed up. Because he already knew that I was going to mess up. Yeah. We've got to keep this in mind. Time means nothing to God. He is in existence above time. When he looks down on us, he is seeing Adam and Eve now. He is seeing us now. He is seeing the millennial kingdom now. <laughs> we can't comprehend that kind of a God. So whenever I do anything, it doesn't surprise him because he already has seen that I've done it. When God gives a prophecy, it's not really predicting the future. He's just telling us what he already knows is going to happen because he's already there. So we got to keep in mind, nothing is surprising him. We don't need to understand why. We are the servants of God. We are just to follow instructions. And if you've ever been in charge of a business, you don't always sit down and tell every single employee everywhere you're going to go, you just tell them to go do something. And you expect them to do it. Well, we are God's employees for, for, for all practical purposes, slaves technically. He says, jump and we go how high? <laughs> you know, how high, how far? And we need to learn to quit asking the question, why God? Why? If we're to know, somewhere down the road we will know. If not, we will know in heaven when we get there why. Why did he do what he's done? 
I've been walking with God long enough that I've been able to see many times where I've seen the why come to fruition. There's many other areas of my life that I haven't seen the why and may not see the why until we get to heaven and get to see it from the spiritual side. But just remember, God has a plan. Jesus fulfilled the plan of the Father. He went to the cross. He did it voluntarily. You know, I love Jesus' answer. Pilate goes, you know, I have, the, I have the right to condemn you. And he goes, you wouldn't have any power unless it was given to you. He goes, I lay down my life. Why? So that if I be lifted up, I can draw all men unto you, is what Jesus said, unto the Father. He gets lifted up, always needs to be lifted up. He's the one that's going to be marked. Okay, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your great love and for your care. Lord, if there is anybody in this room or even listening on the, on the Internet that doesn't know you, we ask that they come to you. All they have to do, Lord, is admit that they're a sinner, confess that sin, confess that they deserve punishment, and accept your great gift of salvation through the death of your son, and then they become a new creation. And if there's anybody who has asked that to happen, that we ask that they will contact us through the Internet or talk to me here personally. And we just thank you. We ask you to bless the singing as we go into it. In Jesus' name, amen.